One of the great things about rom-coms is the amount of love that you see on screen. Now, ordinarily, we see it between, you know, really beautiful, sexy people like a Hugh Grant and a Julia Roberts. But other times, you get to see it between more normal-looking people. And hey, do you know what's great about that? You can actually feel like you're one of those normal people on screen. That's what's going on with today's movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. It stars real people, Nia Vardalis, because it's her story. This is her real-life story that she based her one-woman show and, you know, eventually her screenplay, her movie, the one that was produced by Tom Hanks. And a, a great thing about this film is that it's so brimming with love. It's uh, her story about her family, who she is, she's got feelings towards both good and bad, but really it's mostly good. And big loving feelings for, you know, the man she fell in love with, played by John Corbett. And, you know, I don't think the real life husband looks quite like John Corbett, but that's okay. This is a really special film and the the energy, the verve, and well, the love just kind of bounces off the screen. So it's a great time. It's my big fat Greek wedding. Let's check it out. ask you this on air even though you're in liquid right now there's like a <sighs> I just see you in this pond and I just see a straw sticking out and see nothing else uh, <laughs> it didn't work as well as I thought uh, <laughs> I got good news for you oh the, late on me the movie theaters are opening again whoa do you want to see a movie? You know that I do. But what should we see? Probably Tenet. Yeah. Imagine <laughs> imagine if you went to see the movie Tenet with David Tennant and you were a landlord and you invited all your tenants. Oh, uh, then you would say, God, Tenet. Then you'd say, actually, the maximum capacity is very low right now. I'm going to need some of you to leave. It's about uh, about tenant. Is that how many that are allowed in? Ten about tenant. Ten to ten twenty. Ten to twenty. Ten to twenty. <laughs> We're stupid. Hey, welcome everybody to a gentleman's guide to rom coms. Um, my name is Kelly McCrillis. I'm the fifteenth Doctor. You haven't heard of me yet. I will be one day. Ryan, who are you? I'm Ryan Graves, the thirty second Doctor. <laughs> it's gonna take a while to get to me. Well, you're gonna. Well, I mean, you're you're gonna be like a hundred thousand years old at that point. Yes, there is. Um, that that was for two percent of our audience. <laughs> Ryan, how's how's your week been? My week's been good. Yeah. Hanging out with my son. We had a very good day to it together. Uh, the other night, he woke up at one a.m. and didn't go to bed until four a.m. Nice. What'd you guys do? We did nothing. Oh, <laughs> that sounds horrible. Because I didn't want to overstimulate him if I had a television on and. Yeah. Can you not wear him out by like saying like, okay, we're going to play football now or every 15 minutes I would pick him up and try and see if he wanted to go back to sleep. And he did this thing where he like tries to Yoda off you. And he's like, no, 
No! No! I must get off you! No! Yoda does that to a clone in Revenge of the Sith. Sure, no, no, no. Because yeah, yeah. the lightsaber impales the clone. I thought, off. at first I thought you meant he like picks up a stick and starts whacking you with it. I mean, if he had <laughs> a stick, that's what he would do. Yeah. Your, your son, cute but violent. Yeah, that's how one-year-olds are. Cute but violent. It's a good way to sum it up. How's your week been? Um, No no violent children. Uh, we, we have seen a lot of... There's been a lot that's wanted, made me want to become a little violent, but just toward rental companies those bastards robin and i are looking for a home right now and i feel like you guys have bit the bitter pill of conceding defeat on the city of just like apartments in the city just can't cut it anymore yeah well yeah you know that's a good robin and i can't get a loan right now because we're freelancers and our 2020 wasn't fantastic so we're looking for rentals and we just want to we want to be a little bit outside the city because anything that we would want inside the city is so expensive it's dumb it's dumb and so we've just been like going to a place and being like this is fine i guess (laughs) this is fine i guess and it's like it's like dating right Mm -hmm. because you're you're going on a date and you're like Oh, I see that you have a really nice fireplace. And then you like go around the corner, but also lots of ants are in here. (laughs) And and so you're like, next, 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 next. Thank you, next. Like you're on MTV's Next. Wasn't that a show? Or VH1 when they switched over from being music and reality shows where, yes, yes, it's next. You went on a date with a bunch of people. And then as soon as you didn't like somebody about them because it was a very superficial concept, you said, next. Remember Room Raiders? No. It was really gross. They would like, there'd be like three dudes yes, and then I they do. would like look at their rooms and be like, oh, this person's got a and they gross would de- room. They would determine if they were going to date them based on their rooms and they <laughs> would turn on black lights. Ugh. It's like, come on, you know what you're going to get here. Hey, speaking of transitions, uh, <laughs> Kelly, did you know that we have a Patreon? Um, yeah, I do. I was on it. You were there. Um, yeah, I, uh, I, I do know this. I was on it reading your article on... Um, uh, masculinity in the rom-com workplace. <laughs> and um, yeah, it was a great, very, very long article. So if- <laughs> Oh, that, that's your takeaway. It was really long. I didn't finish it, but it doesn't matter because I gave you an A. No, uh, A minus at least. Okay. Here you go. No, no, it was great. Um, you were just kind of remarking on Breakfast Club and the difference between the, those masculine character or those characters' masculinity versus like a Peter Kavinsky, mm-hmm. uh, who we've talked about ad nauseum on this podcast. I should have brought up Trevor. <laughs> he doesn't get a lot of screen time, but he feels like a little bit more like he would fit in in whatever high school the Breakfast Club is. I would have seen like I would like to see Trevor in detention because you just know Trevor has gotten detention before. Right. Yeah. Do you notice that there is no mention of any men in any of those movies getting in trouble? No, they are perfectly well-behaved gentlemen. And that's kind of what my essay gets at. And there's nothing wrong with that per se, but it is an interesting phenomenon where the boys in Breakfast Club is questionable, but the boys in To All the Boys are angels. What's the most rebellious thing you did in high school? Oh, I quit band and I didn't tell my band teacher that I was quitting. No, no. Ryan, see, I I know the most rebellious thing that you did in high school and that's not it. It does have to do with music, though. Oh, I can't say that on air. (laughs) Because it would implicate you? Yeah. Let's just say... Let's just say it's more racy than anything we see Peter Kavinsky do. Yeah. 
let's just say it was akin to the things. No, no one did anything bad in those movies. No. Uh, but you know who? Uh, okay, so anyway, if you want to check that out, go check it out on our Patreon. Um, it's it, a nice essay. I got an A minus on it, so at least it's worth reading. We have a bonus episode up, uh, Nazca: The Valley of the Wind. Check that out. Help us uh, in our poll right now. Um, everybody's voting for Whisper of the Heart, so yeah, it looks we like got some more votes for that. So I think that's that'll be. Uh, you've got one week left. We yeah, decided we have one week. So that means it's Sunday. You're listening to this. You have until a Sunday from now. Whenever that is. <laughs> to vote and determine whether we're watching Whisper of the Heart, uh, Jerry Maguire, 13 Going on 30, or Love, Love and Basketball. Basketball. Yeah. And so far, Whisper of the Heart. And we need more people to sign up for the Patreon if you're going <laughs> to override that. Or maybe you want it to happen, so you're just abstaining. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just You're just, you're just, um, you're lurking. You're a lurker. And you're just like seeing, like I do that on eBay sometimes. I'll, I'll lurk on eBay. I'm like, um, am I going to jump in? No, I'm not going to jump in. I won't jump <laughs> You're just standing there in a trench coat. <laughs> Um, but speaking of Peter Kavinsky, since we brought him up and perfect gentleman, can we, uh, talk a little bit about Jordan, John Corbett in the movie of the week before that I've got a game oh. for you. Whoa. Hey, what's, what's the game? I wish that I can't hear the music right now, but there's music. Uh-huh. I hear it. Oh, you hear it. I always hear it. Oh, okay. I can't hear it. Okay. So Ryan, do you not hear the music right now? No, I'm, I'm, I'm mostly deaf. Audience. You wait, audience. You can hear the music, right? I'm incredibly deaf. Uh, so in honor of this week's movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, today considered one of the most successful indie films of all time. Monetarily, it is the most successful mm-hmm. uh, rom-com of all time. I saw on some list that technically Inglorious Bastards was an indie film, and I was like, by what? On what grounds, sir? <laughs> on what grounds? You can't what, star what mean, Brad Pitt and be an indie film. <laughs> what mean indie <laughs> But the most profitable film of all time. It's definitely, uh, by $34 million, the most profitable rom-com of all time. Mm-hmm. Adjusted for inflation. So we are going to play the impossible indie film quiz. No, why is it always impossible? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Let, hold on. I'll crack my neck. Expand I'm, my heart. I'm gonna there ease, we go. I'm going to ease you into it. All right. So, indie darling. Ryan, take it slow. It's my first time. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Indie darling, Kevin Smith, directed Clerks in 1994. What film school did he drop out of to make that movie? Uh, that would be Vancouver Film School. Ding, 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 ding. Um, See, I gave you one to <laughs> ease you into it. You, you gave me one. You gave me a freebie as if you're trying to addict me to this game. Mm-hmm. I... I famously got into Vancouver Film School and did not go. <laughs> because I famously convinced him to stay home and make a movie with me instead. Uh, this is a very late apology that should be broadcast. I'm sorry, Bill Moltz. <laughs> I <laughs> abandoned you. But I think you both had unique experiences. We did, very much so. Hopefully we can bring them together again one day. Mm-hmm. Okay. Lay it on me, number two. I'm, I'm re- reared up and ready to go. Uh, in the 60s and 70s, a number of famous filmmakers or about to be famous filmmakers worked with legendary schlock producer Roger Corman. Yes, they did. Of the following filmmakers, who didn't work with Roger Corman? A. Francis Ford Coppola. B. Ron Howard. C. George Lucas. Or D. Martin Scorsese. Who didn't work with Ron Roger Corman? Shoot. Um... So my my initial thought, I, I 
the two that I'm going to pick between, because I, I, I might be wrong about this, but the one I would suspect didn't work for Roger Corman would be uh, Francis Ford Coppola, just because he made hay mainly before any of the other people on your list. Mm-hmm. Um, the person I would think would be too... Too kind, too cherub-like would be Ron Howard. I'm going to say Francis Ford Coppola. You would be wrong. Francis Ford Coppola made a movie called Dementia 13 in the late 60s. Who was it? Uh, It was George Lucas. Oh. Who was friends with Francis Ford Coppola and worked on Francis Ford Coppola productions leading up to his career, but never worked with Roger Corman. Yeah, what was their production company called? Synecdoche, San Francisco? Um, yes, that was it. <laughs> American Zoetrope. Yeah. Where Francis Ford Coppola's like, let's party every day! And George Lucas was literally in charge of finances, and he's like, oh my god, stop. Stop, <laughs> stop partying, please. We have to make a movie, Francis. Uh, okay, final question. Zach Braff. In a movie called Garden State. Yes, he 2004. did. 2004. That film did not win any Oscars. No, it did not. But it did win a major prestigious award that season. You don't have to say specifically what the category was, but what award did they win? And I'll narrow it down for you. It's in the EGOT realm. Do you know what the EGOT is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's okay. in the EGOT realm. So I'll give you a bonus point if you can tell me specifically what the award was. Okay. So we got Emmy, Tony, Oscar, Grammy. Mm-hmm. Um, I am going to say it wins Grammy for best soundtrack. Yeah. yeah! And you win. You win the game because you got the bonus point for yeah. best soundtrack. That's what it was for. Yes, he yes, got yes, a Grammy yes. for it. I mean, you got Imogen Heap. You've got um, Nick Drake, I want to say. Mm-hmm. You got the Shins. The early shins. shins. I mean, that that was basically if the Shins weren't already on your map after you saw that, it was just like, oh, I'll show you this band that can change your life. Here's the thing about Garden State. I think it's safe to say more people have heard the soundtrack or owned the soundtrack than saw the movie. Yeah, that's probably a safe assumption. It's it's gotten a lot of flack the last like five years of people just really turning on that film just because it was. Uh, I think. Not the progenitor, but the the movie that is is very easily pointed to as the um, like the the hallmark of manic pixie dream girl. That's the one. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, I mean, the, it's a quirky indie film from the aughts. So I still like it. I don't know if it's any. I I haven't seen it in quite a few years now, but it, it has a warm place in my heart. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean it's any good, but I think I'd like to go back and revisit it, maybe even for this podcast. Oh, that would be interesting. Cool. You won the that quiz. Was, good job. That was that was a good quiz, Ryan. Thank you. It was not, you know what? Not impossible. Hey, everybody out there, follow your dreams. Maybe it they're not, not impossible. impossible. Ryan, why don't you tell me a story of this week's 2002 My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Yum. <laughs> tell me a story, Turk. Let me tell you a story about love, D'Artagnan. I ask you about love. Probably quote me a sonnet. I'm not much more than an interpreter and not very good at telling stories. That's the end. What do you mean that's the end? That's not. It's the beginning of something interesting. Listen, that's the end of that saga. The end. Before I start the story, I will get started in the story, but when we watched this movie, we had Greek food. Did you have Greek food? No, but I was really missing out on the fact that we didn't have Ozu. Oh, Zoo. What did we have? 
we had we had food, okay, but not Greek. So it's all Greek to me. This is a Greek story for you. Uh, we've got Nia Vardalis, who plays Nia Vardalis, because this is based on a one woman show, which is basically a memoir. Yes, and she also so she wrote this film. Yep. Mm-hmm. And she is 30. She works at the family restaurant with her very Greek family. Her dad is an immigrant, and she has a giant Greek uh, transplanted family. I don't, you know, we never learn about all the other relatives. All we learn is that dad immigrated from Greece, mm-hmm. and everyone came with him, or everyone was already here. Yeah, I mean, it seems like a, a lot of people came over either before, during, or after her dad. Yeah, but her dad is definitely the most patriotic Greek guy. Yeah, and he's the anchor. And he's yeah. like, we're Greek and we're going to be Greek culture people. Right. Like if this was if this was a family that was centered around somebody kind of like Godfather-esque, yeah. um, it, it would be him. And so they own a restaurant called the Dancing Zorbas. The Dancing Zorbas? The, the something Zorbas. I think it's the Dancing Zorbas. Yeah, I think it's the Dancing Zorbas. They say it at one point in time. Yeah, and so she's 30. She works there. You know, when she was a child, she was put through Greek school. And, you know, she was just kind of, she felt like kind of an outcast because of her right. family, mm. you know. And, 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 and it's not like necessarily that she, it's not that she's so different from everybody at the school, but she's just, just different enough that like. Because she's eating olives for lunch. She's not, not. She's the only one who's not blonde. Yeah. I feel like if you're in Chicago, you can find other people that aren't blonde. <laughs> it's okay. So uh, we meet her and she's just kind of down in the dumps and her family's like, oh, she's past 30. So I guess she's never getting married. Yeah. Her dad <laughs> keeps like, saying, fuck, y- you look so old. <laughs> <laughs> and one day she has a, oh my God moment when she sees John Corbett. And who wouldn't? I mean, yeah. the, the guy's basically a wasp, uh, like a wasp Adonis. There is nothing more wholesome than John Corbett, and I love it. And y- there are very few people who can, like, wear hair the way that John Corbett wears hair in this movie. He and should not be wearing that hair. I, I mean, I think he really pulls it off, personally. I, I, I agree. He should pull it off. He should pull it right off. <laughs> Get out of town. Get out of here. I, I think, like, at one point in time, at the end of the movie, what's Nia Vardalos' name in this movie? Nia Vardalos. No, what is I her? can't remember. No, no oh, she is um, Tula. 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 Tula, that's what it is. And um, T- Tula's aunt says that he looks Greek. <laughs> and honestly- He does I, have that Adonis hair. I thought so the whole movie. I was like, you know what? You know, you're a little fairer than the rest of these uh, peeps, but you, your hair makes you look pretty Greek, yeah. at least half Greek. So she's got good taste. Yeah. Um, but he's not Greek Greek. No. He's not actually Greek, which is a problem because the family, one of the dictums that dad has always had is you're going to meet and marry a Greek boy and you're going to have Greek babies and that's what I want you to have in life. This is the only thing that you should be doing is meet Greek man, have Greek babies, that's it. You know, if his only thing that he really wanted was for her to have Greek babies, she could adopt. No, no, he he's that he's that, you know, traditionalist. It's oh, okay, like okay. you've got to extend the genetic line of my family. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. It's out. <laughs> And so basically what happens after this is she she sees Don Corbett. She's really, really awkward at the restaurant. It's hilarious. She does really good deadpan awkwardness. I love the shot where 
she's staring at him and he's like, uh, what? And then we cut to her and she's right in front of him. And it's such a good cut to moment where you're just like, Oh my God. It's, it's, it's almost a horror movie <laughs> yeah. like mo- motif where, where it's just like, she's not there. She's there. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. And she's just there for like 10 seconds, not reacting. And there's, there's, there's a way to play this as a movie where it's like played for awkwardness, but I don't, I don't know. I don't feel like crawl out of my skin at that moment. I'm just like, you can do it, girl. Yeah. You can do it. You Come can on, break out him. of this. <laughs> and it's, she's such a sympathetic, like mm-hmm. romantic hero. Cause it's like, oh man, I've totally felt that way. Yeah, Where you see too. someone you're like, and you freeze up and you're like, they're just so wonderful. And you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so what's great is he notices her, but not like in the same way that she's noticing him, obviously, but he's just like, hey, you're kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He kind of seems like blissfully entertained by her. Yeah. And, and not in like a condescending way, just like a, you aren't like everybody else that I know. And that's what kind of first attracts him to her, mm-hmm. even if it's not romantically. So he leaves. And after that, she kind of has this thought on her own, aside from what just happened of, I'm not really happy with just being at the Greek restaurant. I kind of want to go back to school and learn about computers, which I'm sorry, is it 1994? Like (laughs) the computers in this movie are like ancient. And she's like, I got to go to school to understand like Excel. It's like, what are you talking about? You could just get a computer and get Excel. Well, you know what? This movie was made in 2002, but I actually wouldn't have been surprised if it was set in 1994. So uh, Nia Vardellis was 40 when they made the movie Mm -hmm. and her character is 30. So I think we're pretending that it's like, this was our this story could be 1992. 10 years ago. And spoiler, the movie at the end is there's a six year like time jump where we see their child. And so it's just kind of like there is a bit of a retrospectiveness to the story being told. Yeah, very much. So but, in 1992, no, computers are not as um, prolific in, yeah. mo- in contemporary society. And I think this is a very essential plot point that we have to talk about here because she she has a makeover scene, which is uh, a trope that we see oftentimes in these movies. Like let's go back to our second film, Genovia land, the princess diaries. Yeah. yeah. And where it's other characters saying, you don't look good enough, girl. Let yeah. us work on you. Let's make you look like a princess. I look like a moose. Yes, but a very cute moose. Make all the boy moose go. And this one is um, Tula being like, okay, I need to get, out into the workforce, partially because she's already been thinking about it. Like she wants to get out of where she is and find like a different kind of passion, but partially also because she overhears her aunt and uncle and her dad talking about it. And, um, one of them says something like, she's never going to leave. She's never going to leave you, which is great. Yeah. Right. And she hears that. And I think that's the other thing that sparks her, but it's not John Corbett that sparks her into changing. No, she wants it for herself. Yes. This is all her idea is really great. Yeah. Like uh, a self makeover is something that we so rarely get in these movies where it's not that she changes her appearance to fit how other people think she should. It's just that she gets out of her bubble and expands as a person. She gets out of her funk because when we meet her, she's kind of in a funk where she's not trying really hard. And I think that's more of a generic thing where it doesn't matter where you are in life. You can always recognize like, yeah, I was a, yeah, I've slipped into this thing. I've had that time where I didn't really try. And like Sarah was watching with me and she was making the same praise. She's like, 
She's just making an effort now. It's not that yeah. she's changing her look. Mm-hmm. She's just making an effort. I think this is one of the reasons that this movie is very universally loved mm-hmm. is because it, it just it has a character doing something that we all kind of long to do at one point in time in our lives, mm-hmm. which is break out of our shells. Yep. Break out of the funk. And so she starts going to college, which I'm assuming is community college, and she's going for an associate's in like computers or something. So it's it's actually based off of a Chicago college, but it's shot in Toronto, where mm. she's from. Yeah, so she's happy, and we kind of get a time jump where she wants to start this new program at her aunt's work, which is a travel agency, which again is that 90s vibe where it's like, that's yeah. not a thing anymore. No, people people can do that themselves now. <laughs> Uh, and she's like, oh, I can computerize my aunt's business. And what if I work for my aunt's business instead of for my dad's restaurant? And that's where we get a really clever scene where her mom and her aunt conspire. conspire. Yeah, good and word. <laughs> we're going to convince your father that it's his idea that he wants you to work for the travel agency. Mm. And they're very manipulative. And I feel like... But the but aunt, like it's so, a great way. It's like pitch perfect because the aunt's not good at it. It's just that... Her dad is that like thick headed mm-hmm. that he just doesn't like understand that it's not his idea. And, and it's epitomized with that line. Uh, it's a man. You need a man. You know. <laughs> so this is what Sarah does to me on the regular. Oh, you're a you're a man manipulated. I am a manipulated. I'm the manipulatee and mm-hmm. she's the manipulator. And I think it's all for the best because if I get the because that's the thing. Men are stubborn. Sometimes we can I can be stubborn. I'll sure. speak from my experience. Sure. And she's very clever at just laying the groundwork so that when a pivot point needs to come, she's already done the groundwork. So I'm just like, oh, yeah, we should do this. And she's like, that's a great idea. She's the the fighter in a Muppet movie where it's like this person's been beat up enough that all she has to do is blow and you'll fall over. Yeah. There's been a lot of decisions that I've made that Sarah was like, okay. And she had already made plans for that months in advance. I'm like, wait, were you – you already – Oh, I see what you did. <laughs> uh, hey, I love you. I uh, I do that to you too. <laughs> Damn it! All that to say, Maria's got swag. Her mom, like whenever mm-hmm. she accomplishes one of her goals, she kind of does this shoulder thing where she's very satisfied in herself. The way uh, the way a good lawyer must must swag. Mm. Maria's got it. Mm. Whatever it is, Maria's got it. She got it. So what happens next? So then she's working at the travel agency, and that's when she runs into John Corbett again. One, like it's 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 the second meet cute, mm-hmm. and he really notices her this time, mm-hmm. and they have you know that flirty like, "Hello, I saw you through the window, and we should date." Before then, though, he has an awkward encounter where he does that cool guy thing, like, "Let's play around. I'm gonna like." Yeah, he's he's one step away from going down the fake stairs outside the window. But before he can, he runs into this old lady who knocks the wind out of him, which yeah, is Yeah, it's fantastic. very good. Uh, so so basically, they start dating. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the rest of the middle of the movie is them dating and Tula being like, so you're going to meet my family. They're crazy mm-hmm. and giants. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it is her insecurity about her crazy family, and she's worried that he won't like them and they won't like him. But the bigger conflict is eventually the family finds out about him and they realize, cause she's been keeping it secret cause she's been so insecure mm-hmm. about the relationship and they all learn that he's not Greek and it's kind of like, well, 
Get rid of him. He's not Greek. And this is mainly her dad. Yeah. And the a mo- little bit her mom, but mainly her dad. The movie kind of skims over the resolution to that because eventually they just like are like, uh, he's not leaving. And he's and the dad's like, fine, okay. But yeah, he the, does get baptized in the Greek church. He does he does take the step to get baptized in the Greek church so that they can get married in the Greek church after he proposes. And then the dad makes an effort and then eventually they get married. And the way you know the dad's okay with it is that he buys them a house. Yeah, and so after they start dating, it's just kind of sitcom hijinks until it ends. There there really is not much of a conflict. It's all emotional. There's there's just a little bit of conflict in the middle of like Tula's and anxiety and security and the dad's partial rejection of him but eventually he just gets over it yeah i mean that's basically it like his dad has fresh or her dad has frustrations with like um uh what's what's john corbett's name johnny johnny c no (laughs) one oh yeah eon miller eon uh so his parents are I mean, wasps. You know, they're they're wasps. But if um, Nia Vardalis in an interview said that like she's been to so many different Greek like weddings in her life, and this is just the one that she turned up to eleven. Uh huh. And if if they're turned up to eleven, um, on one side of the scale, um, Eon Miller's parents are turned up to eleven on the other side of the scale, mm-hmm. where they're steeped in culture and they're like. Yan uh, Miller's parents are just the biggest vanilla wasps. So one, vanilla. At one point in time, we see them eating cheesecake, and it's like, <laughs> can you can you get any more white than this? Yeah. And as as and it's like the families on on either side of the spectrum are both. I would say, and I don't think this is necessarily offensive. They're just kind of cartoonish in the fact that they're their volumes are turned very, very high because like when you see Ian Miller's parents, they're even more cartoonish just because they're like afraid. Like yeah. somebody hands them a drink and the mom's like, Oh yeah. And, and she's almost clutching at her pearls. And you know, um, on the other side of the thing, it's just like, like this Greek family, like roasting a, a goat in the middle of their front yard. And it's like, these are all things that happen, but these two things on opposite polar ends happening at the same time cause the most conflict. And it's okay because it's Nia Vardalis's family and it's her story. Exactly. But Nia Vardalis writing this story, it has a, such a depth to it where you, besides the, the cultural aspects that um, we've talked about so far, it has, it has this personal, I don't know. It's not a, it's it's almost a a a longing to expose an experience, mm-hmm. like like you, you'll get a lot of uh, personal stories written down um, on screen, and if you're going into any sort of like writing gig, wanting to write down your own story, you you're doing it because you feel passionate about it. But there's just something about how this story was written, where I I can imagine that so much of this was just not not one for one, but close. Yeah, it's funny because you use the word depth. I would actually not use the word depth. I would argue against any depth to this story, per, just in in just terms of terminology. I don't okay, think yeah, that's yeah. bad. Okay, but I think the experience of the film itself is kind of superficial, but honest. Like there's everything on screen feels real, mm-hmm. but it doesn't feel like it's getting any 
deeper meanings other than the surface pleasure of the story that we're seeing. Oh, like, no, I, I completely agree with that. Right. I, I meant depth as in, like, it feels like a lived experience. Exactly. Yeah. But it's not... I, I kind of miss... What I like about this movie is the fun, but I, f- I feel like I'm missing some emotional follow through. Can can I can I guess at where that lies? Yes. Okay, because well, we should say that um, Nia Vardalis's husband uh, at the time is in this movie. Uh-huh. Uh, he is uh, Eon Miller's best friend, kind of, mm-hmm. and a lot of this is based on him. Also, he he gets baptized in the church in order to marry her. Like this is all based on like that occurrence. I don't know if they necessarily had any conflict, mm-hmm. but you wanna you keep bringing up um, uh, Jude Law from the Holiday mm-hmm. as a, a a fantastical kind of male figure, like a a, a fantasy man. Mm-hmm. I would say that Ian Miller might have him beat. Oh, what was that? Here's here's my reasoning. You know, he doesn't have like two perfect children necessarily and his parents aren't like somebody that you want to have a good time with. Mm-hmm. But besides that, he does everything I would say perfectly. He is he is there for Nia no matter what. Yeah. Or Tula no matter what. And he like does everything so that he can be with this person and they have no conflicts. Yeah, he's kind of the straight man in this film in terms of like all the goofiness needs to bounce off of him and he needs to be the like cipher for us of like we all consider ourselves normal so we're all going to latch on to Ian as like mm-hmm. our our guide through right. this. And the the comedy is him going like okay, I'm going to try and deal with this. Yeah, 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 but it's it's not like he has any trouble with it. Like the most trouble he has is <laughs> is when like uh, Tula's brother makes him say dirty things in Greek, mm-hmm. uh, which is very funny, but he reminds me a lot of Peter Kavinsky. Yeah. He's similar to Peter Kavinsky. Maybe he is the older version of Peter Kavinsky. I still think there's a bit more trepidatiousness in John Corbett's performance that makes me buy it more. Like, I don't, I don't think like, I think Ian Miller can exist in the real world because he's just a nice guy. I he's agree. a good person. I'm not, I'm not saying he's unrealistic. I'm I saying, don't think Jude Law exists, and I don't think Kavinsky exists. That's, I, that's where I draw the line. Well, I'm saying, well, well, here's the thing. I think John Corbett is just a nice guy, yeah, right? Yeah, It What it doesn't allow for is hijinks on his end. No. I think, like, Tula is the character that we find all of our fun and hijinks with yeah because she's lying to her family she's like it we're mainly living with her and her family and so like it's her reactions with her family and everything that she does to incite conflict that really makes this movie fun would it have been too much if he had some crazy scenes too would it have been too big of a movie to like it's my big fat greek wedding not my big fat greek wedding plus my big fat weirdo waspy family is also weird and i don't know what no to do I'm, I'm really glad that it didn't dip into his story yeah i'm i that's not what i'm saying i don't even want him to necessarily be a a guy that has like any kind of baggage at all mm-hmm. it's just we see this oftentimes in the rom-com genre um where one pair of a couple is just a little bit less interesting based on their lack of conflict. Mm-hmm. Because what he says is, you know, the reason why I love you is because like you made my life come alive. And that's 
great. Like that's, that's how a lot of good romantic relationships start. But that means that, you know, he was kind of boring before and he's a little less boring now for knowing you. And he's very nice, but an, an interesting dynamic that doesn't necessarily make Nia is the only person who is interesting in this relationship as we know it. He's just nice. Do you, do you have this where I watch reality shows a lot now because no, I don't have that. I'm in my thirties and there's this weird transmogrification to your life when you're suddenly in your thirties and you can't watch fun dramas anymore. You have to watch HGTV. No, no, no. I don't think that exists for my life. <laughs> it is for me. All I watch is HGTV now. And we watch these shows where they bring on these couples and they talk about what kind of house they want. Uh-huh. And I look at their life. I'm like, is that it? <laughs> like, you don't want anything. You don't need some like pizzazz or some like, it just seems like, yeah, I, I'm this tax accountant and my wife's this tax accountant and we just want this house and we want white walls and, and a white, it's just all these boring things. I'm like, come on, where's the, where's the spark? Where's the interest? But as I'm watching it, I'm like, you know, you have some boring things going on for you, but I like you. Like you still have a personality and I am, I underestimated you as an interesting person because I discounted you because of all these other boring aspects boring Uh for me. But Ian Miller has kind of the same thing where it's like, you know, if I met you on a reality show where it's like, you get your dream house and you want all these boring things, I still like you, but you're still just kind of vanilla white bread, but there's no conflict. He's likable. I don't really want to talk about him that much more because there's nothing else to say about him. (laughs) Um, I like how he proposes to her. Mm -hmm. Like conceivably he did just go down on her. From the angle. And um, he he asks her to marry him. And she says yes. And then he gives her the ring. I thought it was super classy and fun. It was it was a really good twist on how we usually see this happen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, after <laughs> That's his one interesting thing. is like most people propose by giving them the ring and then asking. But I did the inverse. Well, I you know what? Now that I'm thinking about it, like we see this in a movie. You got the Neil. Ring. Ring. Will you marry me? Right. Or is it Neil? Neil, will you marry me with the open ring? No, I think, I think, I think we're, I think we're spot on. Yeah. Yeah. But I I think that's the movie skates over any other conflicts, which is weird, but it works. Most of the time you're supposed to have conflict to make your story move, but a lot of it's just her family having hijinks and we're in for the ride. Yeah, I, this movie st- like steeps itself so much in the family from like the brother to the aunt to the grandma who kind of to has, yeah, she kind of has um, maybe dementia or, or something going on where she doesn't quite know where she is most of the time. Yeah. Did you notice? So the neighbor who brings her over earlier in the mm-hmm. movie, she's actually an actor in um, Canada that I recognize from Anne of Green Gables. She plays. Oh, cool. Yeah, she's in the 1985 Anne of Green Gables as the um, orphanage. She runs the orphanage. That's great. And she's just as grumpy. And so I was just like, hey, you. Oh, I love you. I think what's happening with this film's lack of conflict, and I think the filmmakers knew it from the script stage. Uh-huh. And so Tom Hanks produced it. And I'm. I think, I don't know if Tom Hanks was specifically in charge of hiring the director, but maybe he was, Mm -hmm. but he's the one who made it all happen. Sure. And they hired Edward Zwick to direct the- the, Joel Zwick. Joel Zwick. Edward Zwick is the other film director that's directed Glory. This is Joel Zwick, Mm -hmm. who did not direct Glory. Joel Zwick, uh, creator and director of Perfect Strangers. Yeah. So I looked at his IMDb real quick. He's got like several hundred- uh, TV episode directing yes. mm-hmm. stuff. So he he seems to be one of those go to guys of like if you need a TV comedy director, he's he's your man. He's he's a 
I think he's a guy who specifically directs resolving conflict. Well, I think it's just sitcom conflict. That's what I'm talking about. Like with with sitcoms, uh, like the adage is everything is wrapped up unless it's a two part episode. All the conflict is basically wrapped up at the end of 30 minutes. Right. And you know it. You know, it will be wrapped up and, you Mm -hmm. know, the conflict at hand is not that big of a deal anyways. Exactly. It's not. It's like the the main conflict here isn't. Tula, like, because once once the cat's out of the bag, Tula's conflict is basically over. Yeah. Um, like, it's mainly the dad who's in conflict. It's him that we see having the dark night of the soul. And, you know, she, Tula hears her dad, you know, complaining about the wedding and Ian's family, which I get, man, their family sucks. Mm. But... But really, like her, her, her conflict is like, I don't want to break my family apart, which is a real thing. But I'm never afraid of that happening in this movie yeah, because it's fine. <laughs> like the whole rest of the family is fine and the dad's going along with it and you know, he loves her. And so it's going to be fine. Yeah. And it's what I liked about Father of the Bride as opposed to this movie is that we are in the head of George Banks and we're seeing him struggle with letting go of his daughter. And the conflict is just interior. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, his daughter's going to get married. It's happening. So there's not an external conflict for them to deal with other than like, oh, man, planning a wedding is hard. But the struggle and the conflict is his heart and his soul and having to deal with this major life transition. We don't get that in this movie, but I'm not complaining. Mm-hmm. Because this movie is far more just like, just throw it on the way you would throw on a sitcom where it's like, if you watch an episode of friends, Joey is working at Ross's museum and they're not sitting at the same table. That's the big conflict this week. (laughs) And that's, that's really low stakes where it's like, you know what? If you want to be on your phone, be on your phone. Like don't be on your phone when you watch this movie, but it's the same kind of thing where it's like, look, you can just tune out, just let this wash over you and be a nice time because that's it. It's not asking much of you. And really like even the, the filmmaking kind of, from from the cinematography to the lighting to the music in this, it's it's low key. Yeah, low key is a good word. Yeah, and I don't mean lighting is low key. I, I mean the 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 pressure is off almost on the filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't feel like anybody's making a great work of art here. They're not trying to. They're trying to make something that like introduces you to a a bit of a smaller culture. Uh, within the United States that has, you know, a particular set of characters and this one woman's conflict that is pretty easily resolved because she burgeons and becomes a butterfly. Mm -hmm. It's really good. Mm -hmm. It really made me feel good. Well, on that note, let's take a break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk some tropes. Welcome back to Trope Talk. It's like... Oprah's talk of tropes. You get a trope, and you get a you trope. You get a trope. You, you get, get a trope. trope. You get a car. <laughs> I get a car. No, it's just a trope. Uh, my trope for you this week. It's kind of obvious, but it's easy one. It's the big crazy family trope, which we see in lots of different kind of movies. Maybe not even comedies, like dramas, like The Godfather. That's one crazy family sure. over there. Yeah. yeah. But especially in rom-coms, I think my second favorite after this is While You Were Sleeping. 
the crazy family while you're sleeping, which is the point of the movie is that right. she just wants to be part of a family and right. we meet these eccentric grandparents and we're like, I love these guys. These guys are great. I think that's part of the appeal of this movie yeah. is that Nia Vardalis has given us a, a family that seems so, so real. And I, I mean, you're, you're from a family. You have two siblings, right? Yeah, they're there. They're there. You have two siblings and a couple of parents. But I have a bunch of aunts and uncles. Right. And doesn't it feel great to be in that family? Yeah, and th- it felt really relatable in that sense of, you know, they're my big fat creek wedding, but I have a big fat family. <laughs> they're not that fat. But I, f- I have the same feeling of like, when I go and hang out with my extended family, it feels overwhelming. It's like, okay here's all these people and it's going to take you forever to like know everyone's names. And there's this whole dynamic system that I am, I can't even explain. It's just this big mass. And it's even more overwhelming for um, Tula because she's around them all the time. They all live in the same neighborhood. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And they all work at the same jobs. Yeah. Um, I come from a small family. Like I have a lot of cousins, but they've, for the most part in my life, they all live in different States. Mm-hmm. Like, Tennessee, Washington, California, um, uh, Boston, like they, they're all over the place. But there is a loose Irishness to your family, would you say? A loose Irishness? Like, like the, it's not we're, like everyone we're, is. We're very it's not like you. No, it's not like you guys are second generation Irish necessarily, where it's like your father came from Ireland and you're like the first one in the family to be like American you know, born and raised, but there is this, like, your name is Kelly. It's a family name. There's this, there's this kind of like, um, well, uh, one part of my family, heritage. well, what the, the two major parts of my family are, uh, Hispanic and Irish. Mm-hmm. And, um, but we're, we're like, we're also spread out that the steepedness just kind of got lost. It kind of homogenized. Yeah. I mean, some of them are a little, like some of them like to talk in Irish accents sometimes. I'm looking at, <laughs> dad, I'm really looking at you here. Um, like, Cause like I'm a quarter finish uh-huh. and it's something my brother's like, dude, we're finished. I'm like, we're mutts. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, the same thing with me. Like I, I think the other half of my grandpa's family that's not Hispanic um, were Swiss, but they moved to Italy for like 10 years and then came to the States yeah. and they married into like this, um, native American Hispanic family in California. And so like that happened with my great grandparents. Yeah. And so, but like, and then my grandma is like a little Irish and uh, I, like I mean, four foot five. Yeah. I mean, she's really short actually, but I'm, I like, I'm such a mutt. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, and yeah, so when I, I'm jealous of when I watch a movie, like, it's like, I don't have family traditions that are so steeped yes. in like that culture. And I'm, any I'm, culture. I'm doubly jealous because I have a, I have a family that's like large, but spread out. So I never get to have like big family reunions. Yeah. And so like I, whenever, whenever I was a young person and I made friends with a family that had a big family, I always wanted to be a part of it. And so like Ian Miller becoming a part of this family, like fulfilled a very, a very like primal need in me to have a village around me. Mm. Like, I, I, I don't know. There was, there was something about this experience where I'm like Tula, like I, I want to be part of your family. You don't understand. And I wonder if that's how the rest of America felt being such a homogenized mess, except for in small pockets, we're wanting to be part of these insular families, even if only just for like a small time. 
So, you know, I, we see this in While You Were Sleeping, and we love the crazy old people in that. Mm-hmm. Um, where else do we see this? Well, I'm trying to think. I mean, Game of Thrones, you know, yeah, everybody's got their own family. family. <laughs> um, where else do we want? Let's, let's go to the wall. Let's confer the shelf. I, I've got one. I've got one. Go ahead. It's not a crazy big family, but the family stone gets at the same idea of yeah. like being a part of a, of a system, a family system. Mm-hmm. And there's all these roles that just have cropped up from it. Sure. And uh, that's just a family I would like to be a part of. Please, and <laughs> please you know, adopt me. You know, I wonder. Uh, so, so this family, at, like, like I said, Nia Bardella said she like kind of ramped them up to eleven. Yeah. Um, as far as Greek volume, the I I wonder if um, like the family stone, everybody seems kind of like an adventuring party. Like they all have their own roles to play. Yeah. Where you know. Um, Luke Wilson is very different as a character than uh, Dermot Mulroney, for instance. And they're both brothers, and they're both close to the same age, right? But somehow, you can take Sarah Jessica Parker and graft her onto the family. You wouldn't think that you could, and even the family didn't think that you could. Right. But in the end, it's like, no, she just needed to let her freak flag fly. Uh Uh-huh. And now she can be a part of this and still be that weird conservative lady too. Sure. And, and, you know, maybe, maybe learn and become a little bit. And, but what I think is different than all of that is that where, where in the, the family stone, the family feels like they're all kind of in their own genres, but they're playing at the same concert. Uh, this family feels like they're all the same genre, Mm. but, um, and they're all in the same band in fact. (laughs) Yeah. And whereas, um, Tula and Ian feel like they're like solo acts that don't quite fit in their own family. Yeah. Um, and that's the reason why they found each other because they, they're like, actually we're going to go sing a duet over here. Whereas the family stone is like, Oh, we all have our own thing. We just all like to hang out at this particular venue. I think everyone in their family feels like they're the normal one in their family. Right. Like Tula is like, well, I got a bunch of weird cousins. I'm I'm the black sheep in my family, so are you? Yeah, very much. <laughs> but so. black sheep is like you're the eccentric weird one. Yes, you're the weird one in your family. I've met your dad. He's pretty. He's pretty weird. Uh, my family has all had normal jobs. With Shannon, please don't come after me. I don't think you're that weird. <laughs> um, no, I'm I'm definitely like the weird artist one in my family. Right, but. You're, but do you do, play along with me though? Wait, okay. So you want not, me to say sure? No, no, yeah. no. Not in terms of everybody like, thinks they're there. Not in terms of like occupation or like life trajectory, but in that. But wouldn't that be what makes Tula it, different in that personality scheme? Because it's like okay, she traded jobs with her cousin. You know, yeah. it's not like she has she has the only normal job in all of her cousins have no, but the she's, weird job. She's also like a little bit more sensitive. She's a little bit more reserved. She like Tula is the one who knows that she doesn't fit in quite as much as everybody else. Compared to her brother who's a sweetheart but also kind of a dope, you know. Well, he wants to be an artist too. What she teaches him or what she like kind of gives him a little extra permission to do is he follows in her footsteps to become 
a little bit more of an outcast to become a little weirder right. but in his, his family. His portrayal in this movie is a little bit more character caricaturized. Sure. Where he's like playing the jokes on Ian and does the like, I'm going to kill you. I'm just kidding kind of thing. Yeah. He's the dangerous brother. You know, sure. but, but he's got that kind of like, uh, Hey, I'm, I'm the Greek brother guy. I'm going to do the thing. And sure. there just seems more, turned up about him uh-huh. same with her older sister where it's like I- I- i'm the one who has a bunch of kids and this is a terrible greek accent yeah but, good job <laughs> but but you know what i mean where it's like no, everyone's I, idiosyncrasies well, are turned way up i think what nia did with her writing is she created archetypes or she leaned yeah. into archetypes so that her as a main character would feel even more out of place. Yeah, and she feels like the every woman. So you're saying we see Nia Verdalos' character as someone we can relate to. It's the character that, you know, we're like, I get it. I'm part of a big family. I can understand feeling anxious about it because they're unpredictable and, you know, they don't all act normal the way that I would want them to. Sure. They, you know, you have the embarrassing aunt who tells the embarrassing jokes to like, I love Dude, the, I, the crazy story, story where about her, 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 her twin. All my life, I had a lump at the back of my neck right here. Always a lump. Then I start the menopause and the lump got bigger from the hormones. It started to grow. So I go to the doctor and he did the bio, the bo, the the bios, the bo, the biopsy. And inside the lump, he found teeth and a spinal column. Yes, inside the lump was my twin. It's like, oh my god. <laughs> okay, so speaking of like words said in a fun way, um the mom, Maria, accepts the bunt cake, right? Yeah. And um, <laughs> Ian's mom is like angry almost that she can't say bunt right. Yeah. She's like, bunt! bunt! It's such a normal thing to me. You must know what this is. And Maria's, Maria cannot say the NT on the end of bunt or, or she just hasn't heard this word before. And so it's that thing where it's like, like did, you've learned, you learned a foreign language, right? Uh, we. Oui. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> See, when I was learning French recently, like there were just words said aloud where I just, I didn't know how they were spelled. Right. So I didn't know how to say them out loud. Right. And I think that's more of what's happening there, but it's just like an amazing moment where I'm like, Maria, I feel you so much right here. Like I have done this with French so often. Yeah. And this feels kind of like a thing that would be more of an early 20th century story of like different cultures clashing because mm-hmm. it's like my white bread parents met Sarah's white bread parents and there was no there was no confusion, there was no disagreement. Everyone was on the same page, but there's so much not clash between the two two parent units. It was just kind of like funny misunderstandings throughout the night and like they're not used to drinking as much as this Greek family. So we see them accidentally sure, get yeah, sloshed yeah. <laughs> and you know, Maria doesn't understand what a bunt cake is. She thinks it's got a big hole in the middle of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you ever No, I mean, I'm, I know the answer to this before I ask it. What? 
Oh, I was going to say, did you ever date somebody who is from a culture that was very no, different? No, of course from your not, because I didn't date anyone. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I, just, I didn't want to ask it. It's okay. I didn't want to put you on blast. Um, I, I have uh, a couple times, and the, um, but I've never gone through the experience where it was like, Mom, Dad, meet these people because I'd only dated these people for a certain amount of time, and it wasn't like our parents were getting together yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but like after watching this movie, I'm just like I'm like scared but curious as to what would have happened a little bit more. But I mean, that's that's big fat Greek wedding. Like, did we miss anything? Joey Fatone. Joey Fatone's in this. It's gonna be me. He. I wanted to see him in more roles. He, I want to see him more screen time. He's just background, but he's he's like he's very funny. He makes he has a he has a girlfriend with a big butt. Apparently, yeah. Is his name Nick? He isn't he Nicky? Yeah, he's well. His his sister's Nicky. Yeah, his sister's Nicky, and her there's so many Nickys. <laughs> it's it's a really good joke in this movie where like everybody's named Nicky. <laughs> yeah, and Nick Nick. Um, Ryan, you like this movie, didn't you? I like it. Well, why don't you give it a rom-com Oscar? Oh, okay. I can do that. Ooh, I should have thought about this. Did we say, did we say worsts are off the table? Uh, We did last season. I mean, this is, uh, this is kind of a. No, I I won't do it. I won't do it. I'm going to give myself a better challenge. I mean, you can, what, what if you did best worst? No, no, no. No, okay. I couldn't do that. Uh, best makeover. <laughs> I love it. Best makeover. Yeah. Let's see if this can be outdone throughout the rest of the year. I. It's going to be hard because this movie, this movie does makeover right. Yep. It's a makeover for herself. Mm-hmm. It's a makeover that is within the realms of possibilities where it's not like, you know, it's not like they take Nia Vardalis and put her in prosthetics to make her like this ugly stepsister version of herself. They just don't try in the first iteration of her. They're just like, yeah, just this is her. Sure. And then I feel like the made over version is just Nia Vardalis in real life. Mm-hmm. Like this is just, you know, yeah, her is, style. This sure. is just how she looks. Yeah. So that for me, come on. Um, my Oscar is going to have to do a little bit with the, I, I really, one, one of the points of conflict, we said that this movie was not conflict free, but it was definitely, you know, it got over its conflicts pretty quickly. One thing that I liked a lot was when Ian's asking about her family and they're on like, they're either at the end of their first date or second date. And Ian's like, tell me about your family. And she, she does this thing where she kind of pauses and she wants to talk about the family, but she just can't quite get it out because she's afraid of scaring him off. Right. Mm -hmm. And so she pauses for a little while and then eventually she explodes and she says the thing about like, my Christmases are like this. And it's like my aunt chasing me around with the eye of a goat. And it's da, 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 da. -da. And she kind of just, um, word vomits all over the place. Mm -hmm. And, there's something not only great about the performance, but about the integrity and like beauty of how specific that is. And I think this, 
movie, the one thing I, I, I love maybe most about this movie is its specificity. Mm-hmm. And that comes from, you know, Nia Vardalos, like knowing this subculture so well, but I think the restraint that her character has in like breaking Ian upon the rocks that is her family. If he is the water yeah, um, is, is just a really interesting thing. And so what, what, what is that Oscar? Because like those moments and that moment of fear is something very real where my family isn't very hard to, to deal with necessarily. Sometimes they can be, but I love you mom and dad. Um, but there is this thing about introducing somebody who's very important to you to other people who are very important to you, whether it's introducing them to your friends or to your family. And the more different they are from each other, the more conflict that you can foresee in the future. And so I really related to Tula in this moment. And I don't want to say it's best writing, but it's best details. Yeah. It's, it's almost like best details where the, like the devil of her conflict is in the details. And this script was just so chock full of how Tula relates to all the details that her family has that she necessarily doesn't. She she follows through on things. So when the brother does the first trick on Ian, where he tricks Ian to say something in Greek, but uh it's something really rude. It, it does that sitcom joke where everyone's like, their jaw has dropped and like, I can't believe Ian said this gross thing in Greece. Right. Greek. But right after that, the parents are like, Nick. Yeah. And they, <laughs> and they slap him they slap, the head. They slap Nick. Cause they figured out what happened. Uh-huh. They figured out that's the detail where it's like, okay, this script is so much smarter than sitcom tropes. Exactly. And not only that, not only do they slap him inside the head, but then Nick feels hurt. And then his dad grabs him and kisses him. <laughs> and so there's like in each of these small moments, we find beauty and so I'm actually going to give it best small moments. Yeah. Yeah. Because a lot of this movie is just a lot of sitcom moments. But because it's Nia Vardalis doing it, you have you have the the helmsman is a sitcom director. So he's going to make it land with the same kind of like comic gusto. Sure. But the the details is what Nia Vardalis is bringing. She's like, no, like it's got to have character to it. It's got to have this humanity to it. Uh-huh. And just like that weird story her aunt tells about the spinal cord and her babopsy. It's just like, okay, I don't know who else would have come up with this, but <laughs> well, see, the thing is I connected to that because that sounds like a weird story that my grandma would tell Yeah, that I'd be like, Graham, Gra- Oh, okay. Here it goes. And again. that's what I mean is like, you're relating to Nia Vardolis being embarrassed. You're not relating to the aunt telling the weird story. You're not thinking I'm that weird aunt telling that weird story and I can't say Bobopsy. Right, right, right. You are saying I'm the normal one in my family and who I is feel surrounded so by idiots. Embarrassed by this. And that's what's pleasurable about the film. Yeah. Yeah, good point. I bow to your knowledge, my friend. Bow. Bow down to this. Let me ask you this. <laughs> <laughs> stupid i love you (laughs) speaking of loving me who do you love that's not me that's in this movie are there any circumstances in which uh, the two of you might be more than just good friends the truth of it is i loved you from the first second i met you (laughs) but mostly i hate the way i don't hate you not even close not even a little bit not even at all you have bewitched me body and soul and i love 
Ian is so gullible. Like, yeah. he gets tricked by the brother a, a couple times. Twice! Um, and he, when jo- when he asked Joey Fatone what, like, the, uh, what the meaning of this thing is, it's like, don't trust Joey Fatone. <laughs> Why are you trusting Joey Why Fatone? Trust Joey it looks Fatone. like Joey Fatone. It's gonna be me. Um, man, I'm almost falling in love with Rita Wilson for finding, mm-hmm. um, Nia Vardalis at her show. Um, I'm almost in love with Tom Hanks for playing All My Only Dreams at the wedding later nice on. Nice catch. Way to go. Um, That's why we played All My Only Dreams at my wedding. Because I said... <laughs> oh, I'm going to make mine like Nia Vardalis. And you know what's great? Since they're playing All My Only Dreams at the Greek wedding, mm-hmm. they are in the same cinematic universe as that thing you do. Because they're playing like this Greek version of it, which means they listened to it in the 60s growing up and they're like, oh, let's play one of the old hits. Now, I love this theory, but I also like at one point in time, um, Tula's like, dad, dad, don't don't spend too much money on this. I I want a small wedding. And he's like, I might not be around very long. I want to give you a good wedding. It's a very sweet moment. And he's lives up to his word because they fly a band in, Ryan. They fly the band in? Yeah. They, like, her brother has to go pick up the band at the airport. Oh, right. Like, that is some, so is that this is some like, wedding swag that I've never seen before. Are these the Greek wonders? I think they must be. <laughs> it's like, I, I, what I'm assuming is not only are they probably family friends or family, yeah. but um, they can also sing traditional Greek songs besides wonder covers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I'm going to fall in love with Tula. Okay, I um, I relate to T- Tula's like reservedness, and I as well had my own kind of coming out and makeover at at a certain point in time in my life. I what makeover? What are you talking about? You've always been gorgeous. <laughs> you didn't know me in high school. <laughs> I've seen pictures. You looked good, and I've seen I've heard the stories of all the ladies who liked you. Who have you been talking to? You the you had the two people that you kissed. <laughs> That seems that seems like a lot, Ryan. But let it's me a tell lot you for what me. <laughs> our audience will probably confirm. That's not quite a that's not quite a lot. Um, the uh, no, I looked like a Roman soldier in high school. Um, the uh, I, there's just something about Tula's embarrassment and and fortitude to also get along with her family that I relate to a lot and mm-hmm. appreciate and admire. I I had a similar makeover situation in college where I decided to lose weight. I lost like sixty pounds. And that's the reason we fell in love. Yeah. You're like, oh, now that <laughs> now you Now I notice you. Now that I can see some, you know, muscles between the t shirt. I'm I don't mean to interrupt your story, but that's one of my favorite moments in this movie where they're on their first date and he she admits that her family owns owns the dancing Zorba. Yeah. And she's like He's like, I recognize you. You're the person who waited on me. That was super awkward. But she's like, yeah, I've gone through a lot of changes. <laughs> she does that thing that people do when, you know, they they are like a little bloated and they're trying to hide their belly. And they yeah. say like, I'm just bloated right now. It's like, and he's he's basically like, no, no, it's just that I noticed you. It's not how I've noticed you're different. It's just that I noticed you. Yeah. And he really like 
cuts through the nervousness and the tension and the like insecurity that we all okay. kind of have. So during that date, he's like, you're Greek. We should go out for Greek sometime. Yeah, come it's on, like, Ian. Idiot. <laughs> come on, Ian. What are you doing? She has Greek every day. <laughs> like, not not only that, he, I mean, like, imagine if it was, like, another culture. Like, you're going on a date with somebody who is, like, of, uh, like, Japanese ethnicity. And you're like, you want to go to a Japanese restaurant? It's like, come on. What are you doing? Yeah. Like, I was crawling out of my skin, Ian. And here's the thing. Jude Law does not make this kind of gaffe in the holiday. Kavinsky does not make this kind of gaffe into all the boys, and that's what makes him feel human to me. I don't think the movie even acknowledges what a stupid question that is. Yeah. Well, but I, I think it's a I think it's Nia Vardalis being like, hey, white dudes, I get this a lot. <laughs> and we all have to say, sorry for us. But I think it's a sweet thing that he kind of realizes his own gaffe in the sense of because she's like are you really, do you really not remember seeing me? There is this kind of embarrassment of like, I thought you knew that's how you knew me. I think she was trying to hide from the fact. Right. Yeah. Right. And he kind of like, is like, right, 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 right. right, right, right. And he's trying to play it cool, but there is, there is this kind of like embarrassment to it. The other gaffe he makes here is, I mean, you can do this. Like, let's say the date's going well and you're like, let's plan our second date. But they're eating dinner. They're in the middle of dinner. And he's like, you want to go get dinner tomorrow? And it's like, <laughs> I like that 1950s version of dating where it's like, uh, we can't hang out other than at these dates. Like, right. Because it's the only time we can see each other. Because Ian's blue or Ian's balls, they are blue. <laughs> they blue. Um, but <laughs> but I don't know. It's not the move I make. If I If I'm on a date, I'm not going to be like, hey. Tomorrow, let's go on another date. I'm going to wait until the end and then like proffer or the next day or something. You have to let a date be a date and don't don't like. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. I made I made that mistake. Oh, did you? Yes. (laughs) That's okay. We've all made mistakes. Ian, Ian did invite this girl he was dating to have Greek food because she's Greek. I made the mistake of asking the girl for the second date on the way home. So and what did she say? She said maybe. <laughs> <laughs> did it happen? No. <laughs> but you know uh, what? All's well that ends well. That's my new mantra for like dating. And this All's is all's well that ends. This well. is Shakespearean. This movie because it ends at a wedding. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, did I answer your question? No. Who, would... who? Who do I love? Who do you love? Who do I love? Uh, I would fall in love with Tula's cousin Nikki because she's freaky. I just spit out my ice. I was chewing on ice. I just spit it out. Is it? <laughs> she is freaky. Um... <laughs> she seems fun. I don't know what to say. She just seems like she would have a good time. She's got very voluptuous hair. And I like that. Are you saying she has huge tracts of land right now? And hair. And (laughs) she just seems fun. And she's kind of characterized, but I don't mind. She seems like a cool lady. Um, Cool, man. Good pick. (laughs) Good pick. Good pick. Good pick. Good pick. Good pick. Good pick. Um, I want to just before we end, can we can I can I talk about one more thing? Yeah. Okay. Um. We didn't, we didn't even talk about like the grandma and the fact that she's, you know, you know, always calling him a 
her her son a Turk. <laughs> yeah. But like also she's very sweet. There's there's a lot of there's a lot of fun sitcominess that you've been talking about this whole time that is all throughout this movie and is great. I had one more thing. Oh, go ahead. I appreciate this movie's PG-ness. It is. It is a hard PG. <clears throat> and I would say for the most part, it's appropriate for kids in the same way that you've got mail is definitely appropriate for kids. There's only one scene where you can infer that they totally boned down with each other. And that's, well, that's when she jumps on him on the couch and then later on he proposes to her. Yeah. And it's just kind of like, you know, would I be okay with a 10 year old watching this? Yeah. I'm just going to, you know, we're just going to float past that scene where they're in bed together. But otherwise, it's a pretty safe movie for kids. You and I are going to take care of kids a little differently. Well, how would you handle that? Robin and I are going to have talked to our kids about sex already. When they're 10? Yeah. I guess when they're 10. Yeah, before that. Like Uh, I said, Captain Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Otherwise, I really appreciate that the film is pretty tame so that you can have a nice rom-com experience with younger younger viewers. Mm, I see. Yeah, I mean, as is evidenced by the fact that this movie broke the box office. Like, you're not going to break the box office if you don't also have kids going. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not like indie R-rated films are doing this. They can't. You, you've got to have a, a, a pretty wide net to well, get Well, number four on this list is actually um, on the list of um, most successful financially rom-coms of all time in theaters mm-hmm. is actually um there's something about mary oh so i mean it just kind of depends but this one outdoes it by millions 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 of dollars mm-hmm. and that's all the little kid money yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> little kids saving up and breaking their piggy banks to go see this <laughs> all right my big fat greek wedding's coming to town <laughs> uh well what are we watching next week all right. Give me a number to pick the movie for next week. Between 1 and 178, eh? Um, your birthday is July 12th. 12. I like... That's blank. <laughs> Are you... Two weeks in a row? Are you kidding me? The next one, then. Um, I'm going to cheat and go one before it, because I really want to show this movie to you. No, no, no. That is not how this works. Fine. What is it? We're going to do Moulin Rouge. Hey, Moulin Rouge! I know why you didn't want to do that one now. It Uh, wasn't because you wanted to do the other one. It's because you hate Moulin Rouge. I don't hate Moulin Rouge. I just have thoughts about it. All right. I'm going to watch a a very dramatic movie next week. Yes, with lots of tuberculosis. Um, Ryan, before we get to that, I just want to let you know that we have some letters. Ooh. Hey, Flo. Huh? Mail come. Got mail for you. Oh, Pete, you've got mail. You sent me a letter. You've got mail. Um. <clears throat> so, this is embarrassing. I um. I got a message from my mom. Oh. So apparently, my mom listens to this podcast, and not only does she listen to this podcast, but um. <clears throat> She's heard me talk about boners now. <laughs> Twice. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, um, hi, Mom. Uh, she said that <clears throat> this was her text message that she sent to me last week. Uh, I'm listening to the Casablanca pod. 
A comment about when you're talking about Ilsa staying with Rick or leaving with Victor. You say it's noble to go with Victor, not only because she loves him, but she's helping Victor save the world. She never actually says she loves him in the movie. I think at one point she tells Rick that when she met Victor as a young girl, she thought she loved him. In the current part of the story in Casablanca, all the time she has the opportunity to respond to Victor. Um, wait, 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 no, no, no. In, in, in any part of the story uh, of Casablanca, all the times that she has the opportunity to respond to Victor that, and tell him that she loves him, she never does. And that's all I've got to say about that. Oh, now it's, you know, we should have brought this up, especially because Robin and I talked about this just post viewing the movie, but my mom is right. She never says that she loves Victor, even though he says that he loves her. Does she say I love you to Rick? She does. She does? She does. I know. Does Does she say boners? No, she doesn't say boners. Wait. She she does says she Im- I'm in Wait, Boners Town does for she, you. Does she does she imply boners? <laughs> I can't she do this anymore. I know my mom's boners. listening to this. You brought it up, man. Boners. <laughs> um, so it's a yeah, good point. Mom, I, yeah, like usual, you're right. My mom got me into watching rom coms, so this is her fault anyway. She probably showed you Casablanca in the first place. Uh, yeah, I think I actually watched it over at my. I might have watched it with my mom first, but I could have also watched it at my grandma's. She had a lot of those recorded VHS tapes. Yeah. I remember, I think Casablanca was on the same VHS as Quigley Down Under. Nice. Which is like Tom Selleck being in Australia. I had the best tape ever. It was Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade, and Batman. Oh, nice. 1989? Yeah. Nice. I think my favorite was Home Alone 2 and... Hold on, I'm visualizing it right now. It was Home Alone 2 and Pete's Dragon. Mm. As a kid, I think that was my favorite one. Mm. Yeah, I had Return of the Jedi and something. You had recorded Return of the Jedi? You didn't even have that on, on like purchase tape? No, and I still don't. If you look up at my tape collection of that sh- Star Wars. And no, I've there got, it is right there. I, I know, but it's not the official one. It's Return oh, yeah, of the Jedi in this janky... It's like, got a black, like, um, you purchased this from <laughs> like, from Blockbuster after a reclosed yeah. tape cover. Uh. All right, well, uh, next week, uh, join us as we can, can, can! And Ryan, oh, I, I, I can't wait to see your face just, just painfully work your way through this plot. <laughs> Don't they go into a Nirvana song? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, it's a it's a medley movie made up of uh, it's a jukebox musical. God. Okay. Well, I love you <laughs> just like John Corbett seems to love mullets. Would we call it a mullet? Yeah, I love you too. <clears throat> and this is where we will say a goodbye. Ryan and Kelly must bid you adieu. Thank you for listening to our review. Rate and subscribe, we'll even take a bribe. See you next week on the Gentleman's Guide to Rom-Coms.